Hey, are you wanting to learn more about your Enneagram type or maybe even discover your Enneagram type? Are you looking for how to take the Enneagram test? Well, check out Crosspoint Ministries' newly designed Enneagram testing experience. Crosspoint has been using the Enneagram with Christian pastors and leaders for more than 15 years, and they've made taking the WEPS test a simple and optimized experience. You'll get your test results immediately, no emails needed. Your results are displayed in a clean, easy-to-read, and downloadable format. Plus, you can create your own account where you can keep your test results, download your profile, and track your personal growth all in one place. To take the test, go to crosspointministry.com slash Enneacast, and you'll get 20% off your first test. Just use the code Enneacast at checkout. Again, go to crosspointministry.com slash Enneacast and start your journey today. Love thy neighborhood. Okay, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. When there's conflict, inside of me at least, it's game on. Yeah. It's like game on. This, and I, I don't, this is going to sound masochistic or weird, but like, it's like, yes. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. eights feel alive with conflict. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we are back in the body triad talking about type eights and conflict. So just a quick refresher about type eights. When these folks are healthy, they're confident, they're truthful, they are direct. You do not have to guess Mm -mm. what they're thinking. Uh, They're protective and they are decisive. But when they're unhealthy, they can become domineering, insensitive, aggressive, uncompromising, and demanding. Uh, now, conflict can come from just about anything, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. breathing. Yes. Uh, it shows up all over the place. Like There's no shortage of conflict in the world that we live in. But according to James chapter 4, much of our conflict actually comes from our warring desires. Mm-hmm. And what is the desire of the eight? The eight has a core desire to protect themselves, to protect themselves. A lot of eights come from childhoods that are marked by combat and survival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they grew up with a real sense that they just wanted to protect themselves and protect mm-hmm. the people that they love because there was a lot of unfair tackling going yeah. on in their childhood. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say eights don't necessarily want to control you. But they don't want to be controlled. Yeah. And so sometimes it feels like the only way I can ensure that I'm not going to be controlled is to control everything. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of that f- they're fighting for their own preservation of their own safety and control yes. of their own lives. Partly, yeah, because they had to grow up 
too soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so for Nate, like, conflict is naturally going to arise when they think that they are perceived as being vulnerable or being weak. So uh, remember, just a couple episodes, a uh, few episodes back, we talked about the fighting words for Nate are like, oh, you seem afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my poor wife said that to Nate once. Oh, Meaning gosh. well, she meant well. It did not go well. Uh, yeah. Because it just can activate the eight. So... When conflict does happen, what do we do? As Christians, we want to remember Jesus's view of conflict that we talked about in episode 65. So healthy conflict is good. Healthy conflict is transformative. And healthy conflict is an opportunity to love. And it's important that we hold all three of these things together mm-hmm. because if you only cherry pick one or two of these, so if you go, no, conflict's good, mm-hmm. but your conflict is not loving the other person, mm-hmm. well, it may not be good conflict after all. Um, so with this in mind, let's take a look at two things. First, how does type A tend to approach conflict? And second, how does the A resolve conflict? So Lindsay, how does this type tend to approach conflict? So to know how the types approach conflict, we are looking at their social style. And this is from Rizzo and Hudson. And for the eight, they are a part of the assertive triad. That is their social style triad. The assertive types are three, seven, and eight. And I have heard those also referred to as the aggressive numbers. Like these are the numbers that are very forward-moving They can feel very aggressive and direct. They know what they want. They insist or demand that their needs are met. They take charge. They make things happen. Um, So when the eight specifically um, comes into conflict, they face it head on. They do not withdraw. They are not trying to appease necessarily the people around them. Not that they never do, but in general, they're very direct. They are open. They're honest. It is like, here's the problem. Here's what I want. Therefore, here's the solution. And that can feel very aggressive to others. The reason I like assertive over aggressive has like a negative connotation. And assertive is like, I'm just I'm asserting my thoughts about Mm -hmm. I'm asserting my opinion. And in a lot of eights, too, when they go into conflict, they already know the outcome that they're aiming for. Yes. So a lot of times people will go into conflict and they have no clue Mm -hmm. what the goal is, except to make the conflict go away. But the eights like. No, there's a mountain here. I'm going Mm -hmm. to, my goal is to climb this mountain. And they have clarity about what it is that they're after. And they're comfortable taking charge. And they're comfortable having those difficult conversations, which a lot of us need help with that. So that's a strength that they bring into relationships. Yep, yep. The challenge with this social style is that they can be great at initiating, but not always great at following through. Mm -hmm. So for example, like an eight may end up arguing, just for the sake of arguing without without actually finding a stopping point. Mm-hmm. And we, we've seen that. And that's kind of the bad rap that unhealthy eights can give to healthy eights yeah. is that, oh, my gosh, they just love conflict. They just want to argue all the time. They're just reacting all the They're time. They're just reacting all yeah. the time because arguing can be so energizing for yes. them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so an eight has to guard that and know, mm-hmm. am I arguing for something worthwhile right now or is, is this kind of a sport right now right. and I just want to win? So when they're stressed, AIDS can really push other people around and push against authority. And that's that bad rap you're talking about, is that people feel bullied or we hear the phrase bulldozed, you know, that they're just running people over. And that's because they want to be in control of their environment. And that Mm -hmm. means 
being in control of the conflict. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the healthy side of assertiveness for the eight is that they'll see opportunities and they're going to take advantage of those, like mm-hmm. in a positive way. Like mm-hmm. there's a moment, there's a window, I'm going to seize the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not going to wait around to address conflict, giving it time to fester. Mm-hmm. They're like, we need to address this. We need to address it now. Mm-hmm. Let's get it all on the table. Let's deal with it. Right. And uh, and that can be really, really freeing and life-giving for relationships mm-hmm. when they're like, okay, we don't have to pretend yes. that this thing's not happening. We're going to deal with this I right now. I know where I stand. So that's some of how the eight approaches conflict, but there's also the question of how can this type resolve conflict? So in addition to the social style triad, each type is also part of what Rizzo and Hudson call a conflict resolution style triad. And the eight's conflict resolution style is emotional realness. Mm -hmm. So they share this along with fours and sixes. All the numbers in the emotional realness triad, they want to address the underlying emotional dynamics of problems and express their feelings, both positive and negative, and to learn the feelings of other people involved. So eights are all about emotional realness, but they also really value being brief and direct and confrontational, perhaps. So how can those two things be related? Because that might feel... To, to like a two, that might not feel like, how can they be in touch with their feelings and so direct? Well, okay, so there's a catch here. So, the, And this really does depend on the levels of health of that eight. Mm-hmm. So for the unhealthy eight, they want you to be very clear and very direct, and they will be as well, but the unhealthy eight converts most of their emotional experiences mm-hmm. into anger. Mm. So their emotional realness, quote unquote, often just ends up being angry. And so when the eight is unhealthy, I'm being honest, I'm being straight, because the eight themselves can only see their anger. They mm-hmm. they have not yet dug under the anger to mm-hmm. see the other stuff. The healthy eight also wants you to just, hey, man, cut to it. Yeah. Do I have cancer or not? Like, yeah. They just want you to say, say it and say straight. But if they're healthy, they also possess the ability to go deeper. Yeah. To slow down. They're not going to push you faster mm-hmm. than you're capable of. And so... In a lot of ways, um, it's about the eight's own ability to recognize that they're not a one-hit wonder. They're like, mm-hmm. they can do more than just anger. They can feel all these other things, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has to also do with that they're just straight shooters. Yeah. And they don't want to be manipulated, and they don't want to manipulate. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is having that emotional realness. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be real, but... We're not going to belabor yeah. the emotions. Yep. So like a four or a two or just anyone that's feeling emotional, they might want to go on and on about it. But then the eight is going to kick in with that assertiveness of like, mm-hmm. well, let's move on now to action. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so it can look a little bit like a dichotomy, but it's not. Yes. Okay. So what is their gift? So when the emotional realness style is used, the gift is that all parties quickly learn where the other stands. Yeah. And that can help them proceed to a resolution that works for everyone. Yes, yes. Now, the challenge is that sometimes people who use this dominant style of uh, emotional realness, they can get caught in a never-ending loop of just expressing themselves and expressing themselves mm-hmm. and expressing themselves without ever getting to a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so emotional realness types, they can benefit from having teammates 
disclose their honest feelings in a manner that's appropriate to the situation, while also steering the conversation towards, hey, let's find a solution here. Yes. So if you're going into conflict with an eight and you're seeking conflict resolution, it really helps to be brief, be purposeful, be direct, be really open and honest. And you can you have to look past maybe their anger Mm -hmm. or that strong exterior to see that they do have that tender heart. Mm -hmm. So you bring your full self, but in a very direct and honest way. Yeah. You sort of have to go like, I know that if I stand here long enough, the hurricane will pass and we'll get to the eye of the hurricane. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's more here, but sometimes you kind of have to wade through some things to kind of get there. Uh, So that is an eight's preferred way to resolve conflict, but let's talk about some of the ways that they can grow in resolving conflict. So just a reminder, um, if an eight's desire is to protect themselves, God responds to them with the healing message, I will not betray you. God is fully faithful. He is never deceptive. He is never going to betray. And out of that, the eight then can learn to trust God and to walk with Jesus in a more faithful way. Mm -hmm. So in order to avoid falling into their deadly sin of what we would say is boundlessness, which is a lack of boundaries, uh, the eight will need to exercise innocence. Innocence is this idea many eights, when they were children, had to abandon their childhood innocence to become bigger than they were, tougher than they were. Um, And as a result, many eights did not develop the fruit that comes from innocence, Mm -hmm. mercy, vulnerability, Mm -hmm. uh, gentleness. Um, And so the eight has to return when Jesus invites us, become like little children, that is an invitation for the eights. Come mm-hmm. back. Come back and re reclaim that part of your childhood that was so that was lost. Yeah. Um, so what are ways that they can do this in conflict? One basic way, practice listening. Mm-hmm. Eights are so their their energy is just so profound. Mm-hmm. It just drives them forward. Um, one way to practice innocence is I'm going to just accept this moment as it is and just listen mm-hmm. and trust. And then I'm going to say it back to you, and mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to take a posture of trust here. Um, so we we recommend a breath prayer for each of the types. So Lindsay, what is the breath prayer for the eights? The breath prayer that we're looking at for the eights is as you breathe in, just Lord, you are in control, and then as you breathe out, help me let go. Okay, so that is all of our teaching about type eight, uh, but we are neither one of us are eights, nope. and so we are not experts on this. So we think that it may be helpful for us actually to talk with an eight. So our guest today is Dr. Todd Wilson. Todd is the co-founder and president of the Center for Pastor Theologians. He's the author or editor of over a dozen books related to Christian ministry, theology, and biblical studies, including The Enneagram Goes to Church, which I just want to say is a wonderful book. Uh, He's also the founder of Integrated Leaders, a leadership coaching and consulting practice focused on helping high-capacity leaders find sustainable personal and professional success. Todd has over 15 years of pastoral ministry experience. He and his wife, Katie, live in Indianapolis with their seven children, and he is an eight on the Enneagram, and you better be an eight on the Enneagram with seven children. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, So welcome to the show, Todd. 
Delighted to be with you all. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah, it is our our pleasure. Uh, so talk to us about this. When did you first encounter the Enneagram and, and what insights did you glean from it? Yeah, Jesse, discovered the Enneagram about eight, I want to say eight years ago. My sister-in-law, we were on a family vacation with my wife's family and my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, um, was had had a uh, well-worn copy of Rizzo and Hudson's The Wisdom of the Enneagram. And uh, I saw her reading it and she was so intensely reading this thing. I thought, I thought what is she so intensely reading? And uh, she, she said, well, I'm reading about the Enneagram. And I said, Ennea, what? What is this? Um, and she showed me the front of the book with a big pentagram looking diagram on the front of <laughs> right. the book. And I'm starting to get creeped out <laughs> and freaking out. And she started describing it and, 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 you know, this personality typing system, et cetera, et cetera. And at that point in my life, I wasn't super into things that were, you know, smacked of psychobabble. So I was a little skeptical, uh, but curious enough, started asking her about it. And she started describing, you know, the one and then the two. And then the three. And as she started going through the numbers, uh, it started capturing my imagination because I could I could start seeing people that I knew, starting with my own family. Uh, and after about an hour conversation with my sister-in-law, um, my wife and I were hooked on the Enneagram and the rest is history. We've been huge fans ever since. Yeah, I picture so many eights stories is when they encounter the Enneagram, like, what are you talking about? Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. And then you get to the end, they're like, oh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. like such a mirror uh-huh. to each yes. of us, you know. Yes. I, I, when, I, when I first heard about the Enneagram, if I could just say when I first heard about the Enneagram, I thought I was a three. I thought, yeah, achiever, do a bunch of stuff, you know, kind of the glory of the party, all this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't and, – and, and then I, I talked with my brother who – actually had done some Enneagram work and I didn't even know about it. And I said, oh yeah, I'm a three in the Enneagram. And he said, well, you know, actually, Todd, I was talking to my therapist about you. And he's, he's <laughs> no, literally, this is a true story. And he, and he said to me, he said, I'm t- I was talking to my therapist about you and he thinks you're an eight. And you know what went on inside of me when he said that? I was so fiery indignant. I was so enraged. It was remarkable because it was like he was putting his finger on my dirty little secret, which is this molten lava of anger and rage that is inside of the eight, and you're not sure why it's there, but it's ever present in everything, (laughs) in everything. You know, so y'all, we're talking about the theme of conflict today. I mean, eight's just, we can't help but in, uh, gravitate toward and engage in conflict. And it doesn't even need to be anything that's like seriously conflictual. Mm-hmm. You can be talking about the weather and turn it into conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, stay with us because when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Todd Wilson about conflict and type eights. Stay with us. Hey, listeners, it's Hannah. Over the past seven years, we've had over 300 alumni serve in our Urban Missions program who've come from all around the United States. This is Ifama from Austin, Texas. Larissa from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hi, this is J.C. Williams from Louisville, Kentucky. This is Tabitha from Lincolnton, Georgia. They've provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. And along their service journey, they have the opportunity to experience deep community and discipleship that prepare them for their next season of life. Like Hannah Eland from Upland, Indiana shared with us, 
My time at LTN was a stepping stone for my development in my professional life. I firmly believe that every single person does kingdom work. You don't have to work at a nonprofit to do this. And the amazing thing is that God invites us into his story of justice for our broken society. He uses us to carry this out, and it's such a privilege. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Welcome back to the IndiaCast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. So we've been talking with Todd Wilson just about being a type 8. And so, Todd, my question for you is this. Um, you know, we are in the middle of a series about conflict. How do you personally feel when conflict arises? Do you tend to fight, avoid, comply? I'd also be kind of curious to know about, like, what it feels like in your body. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, great, great question. Uh, this might sound kind of weird, but... When there's conflict inside of me, at least it's game on. Yeah. It's like game on this, and I, I don't. This is gonna sound masochistic or weird, but like it's like yes, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. eights feel alive with conflict. Mm-hmm. We feel like we're at our. I mean, it just is incredible. Like our whole body is animated and activated. Um, and, and so, so, so yes, very much. It's like, a, that's why we, we don't, we don't shy away from it. In fact, we like move toward it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's a, there's a reactivity. There's a kind of an emotional intensification. Um, I'm, you know, uh, I tend to not be an avoid or comply with, but a, a go at it sort of person mm-hmm. when it, when it comes to, to conflict and c- conflict for an, at least in my experience, um, you know, I teased about earlier, you can make conflict. I was just talking about the weather when you're an eight in the Enneagram. <laughs> but because here's the thing for folks to understand is eights find that they're more alive in the midst of conflict because it's so energizing. It, it feels so vitalizing mm-hmm. um, that it's also a way of bonding for an eight relationally. This is the really counterintuitive thing for people. When you're an eight and you are in a serious you know, debate, aggressive argument with somebody that can be quite bonding. That can almost be intimate when you're an eight in the Enneagram. Yeah. Which is hard for people to get. They're like, whoa, you know, you're a nine or something. Mm -hmm. One of the other two, you're like, what is going on? This person seems to actually be enjoying this and to not be exhausted by it, but to be alive doing it. Um, but, But that's, that's Jesse, what goes on inside of me and how I feel about conflict. Yeah, that reminds me, you know, I remember years ago that uh, I there was a, a person I knew, type eight, causing lots and lots of conflict in their circles. And the people around them were, would always just retreat. They would sort of just mm. wave, wave the flag, let this person blow off their steam, and then everybody would just kind of, you know, go on. And there was an occasion where I went toe to toe with this person. And... She later told me, she said, that was the moment I knew you loved me. Yeah. Because she said, you decided I was worth it. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, and so I always try to keep that in mind. Like, there are lots of scenarios where the eight is, is begging you, get in the ring with me because mm-hmm. I need you to. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. 
So can you tell us about a time where you had conflict and you saw yourself acting out of that low, unhealthy side of your type? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, maybe I, if you don't mind, I won't, I, maybe not give a specific, but I could just t- talk about, you know, as a pastor, um, there were, you know, any number of episodes of conflict. Uh, I was at a church in Chicago for 10 years, and there was a lot of transition and change and some challenges along the way, as you can imagine. And then just, just doing life and ministry in a, in a large church, um, the conflict would surface. And one of the, th- it took me a while to learn this, and certainly the Enneagram was a help in seeing this about myself. But, you know, I'd have ch- conflict, let's say, with a congregant um, or church leadership, you know, the elders, let's say, of our church wanted to, you know, go this direction, and I thought we ought to go this direction. It created a conflict. And I, I noticed the pattern, which is I would get very reactive, and then I would, and then my brain would start kicking in, and I would start telling myself stories about what's happening. And the stories will be no surprise to you. The stories will be like suspicious. It would be, I'm being taken advantage of. I'm going to be betrayed. And so I need to, I need to start construing, like I need to start uh, reading people's motives, like they're pieces on a chessboard and figuring out who's moving what and doing what so that I'm always out ahead and in control of the situation. And what I, what I know, like the shadow side of my engagement with conflict as an eight is I can get really suspicious of people. I can start presuming to know their motives, their intentions in a way that is, is not charitable or Christ-like or grace-filled. Um, and and that and it can kind of be um, self-fulfilling and reinforcing. Like I start to think poorly about what somebody's doing when I really don't have any basis for thinking that. Uh, I'm just f- afraid of what's what they what could happen in the conflict or in the disagreement. Um, and 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 that that grieved me looking at that pattern in my own life over the years as a pastor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fascinating because you're describing the reality that it's actually your own fears that people are going to behave and do these certain things. Mm -hmm. But the fear says, well, I'm not real. The fear's not real. You know, the perception is real. When in reality, the fear is real and the perception is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But it's so, you know, seductive in those moments just to believe the other way around. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so so that's that's like that's like the 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 low side, right? So that's that's how uh-huh. you've kind of handled conflict from an unhealthy perspective. What about ways you maybe have approached conflict from a healthy perspective? Um, yeah, yeah, trusting people and so forth. Yeah, sure. Well, before, if you don't mind, let me. Can I just underscore or make one one yeah, point yeah. Uh, about the the low side? Um, and you you put it so well, Jesse. The eights are are not very um, have a hard time accessing the full range of their emotional life, and 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 they they get anger and they get rage, right? I mean that's easy to feel and see and name, but fear, any emotion associated with their humanity and and thus their vulnerability, that's very hard to access and name for an eight, and um, uh, and so I it. it um, uh, it has been a big part of my growth journey to be able to just pause as I'm feeling my energy kind of rise and name like 
what am I feeling in this situation? And for an eight to say, I'm feeling afraid, that is so vulnerable for an eight to say. It's so life-giving and, and, and diffuses a lot of the, the you know, the t- tension and potential conflict. Um, so I just want to underscore that, that what you said about you move quickly to starting to um, uh, be suspicious of motives and things when, when if you just were to pause and name the, f- the feeling that's actually going on, the reality of fear and, and a feeling of vulnerability, that's a game changer developmentally for eights. Um, on the positive high side, you know, I think of, of my relationship with my wife, you know, we're going to be celebrating 25 years of marriage here uh, in May. So we're, we're thrilled about that. And she's a four in the Enneagram. So she's an expert in what I struggle with, namely um, emotion. Um, so she regularly asks me in the mornings, <laughs> she'll say, uh, what are you feeling? <laughs> and I'm often like, um, well, um, I don't know what I'm feeling. I, you know, um, and she's so, so she's helped me so, so much on all of that. But I, I've noticed, um, signs of growth in, in recently, in recent years, when I am not personalizing things, um, when we will have a, a disagreement on something and not personalizing it, not taking it as a personal affront to me when she raises an issue, like, hey, Todd, this was disappointing, or this happened and and you hurt my feelings, to not personalize it and to not uh, let it be so triggering of anger, let the anger kind of take over. Because when that happens for me, I want to, I feel the surge of indignation and anger, and then I wanna try to dominate the situation. I want to try to dominate the conversation. I want to try to dominate the argument. I want to try to dominate, 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 right? Um, and so just sidestepping that by not personalizing, I've, I've seen that in increasing measure in my life, particularly with, in my relationship with my wife, Katie. And that's been really, really encouraging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've, been, I've, been, I've been encouraged with that. Yeah, that's so good. How does the Enneagram help you in conflict? Like, what does it change about the way you approach conflict? Yeah, I think it, it it's, um, you know, I think the, the, what it does with so much of life, including conflict, is it just helps catch me in the act, right? It's like, um, Todd, you're, you're acting on autopilot here. You are, uh, you're not responding, you are reacting, You've been triggered and, you know, in the reptilian part of your brain, things are firing and going off right now. And you are, you're getting kind of hijacked by all of that. Um, and the Enneagram just reminds me that, A, that's going to be the pattern for you is a certain kind of reactivity to a certain situation. Um, and then B, it points the way forward. Here's, here's the path of integration. Here's the path of growth. Here's the path of kind of the opportunity for you um, in this moment to, to do it differently. Um, so like what I was describing with, with Katie, rather than feeling like, wait a minute, she's got an issue with me. Well, I've got an issue with her now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she's going to be mad at me. Oh, let me, let me just get mad at her and shut this thing down. Um, it's, it's knowing like that's the predictable way in which I'm going to respond. And the Enneagram, um, just, just casts vision, so to speak for me to do that differently, um, and to sidestep, um, or to step out of the way, you might say of my, my, 
natural reaction uh, to something that's a more integrative Christ-like responsiveness to a situation. Yeah, yeah. So you just talked about trying to respond in a more Christ-like way. How does your faith in Jesus influence the way that you have learned to approach conflict over the years? You know, I think of the end of Second Peter, or First Peter, chapter two, is the most incredible description of Jesus. That when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was insulted, he did not utter a word. But he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, and and was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Like the watching Jesus walk through conflict and persecution and attack culminating in the crucifixion, the betrayal of Jesus by his closest intimate friends, and then the an unjust crucifixion, which was, which was, um, uh, I mean, so unjust. It was like so unfair. I mean, as an eight, you're like, that is so unfair. I like, how on earth did that happen? Um, but watching him with a kind of God-centered, uh, serenity is almost too sappy of a word to use, but a God-centered um, um, uh, uh, like trust, just reliance upon the Father to protect him, even as he's getting um, nailed to the cross. That, like, that is the paradigm of how I ought to navigate conflict, which is to step into the vulnerability, which, which is going to bring about pain and suffering and heartache, but to rely upon the Father in the midst of that, just as Jesus did. That, so he like, sets the pace, that's the paradigm, that's the model for what conflict um, and living the Christian life, and including conflict, ought to look like. And it resonates so deeply with me as an eight. Um, uh, precisely because of what I struggle with, which is is the hu- being human mm. and being vulnerable and being being wounded and being betrayed and being hurt by other people. Mm. That's really good. So in the midst of conflict, what is the one thing that you wish everyone could know and understand about your type, about all type eights? Mm. It would be there is... Um, a tenderness underneath that tough, dynamic, aggressive exterior. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember for my 20th, or for my wife and I's 20th wedding anniversary, which was about five years ago, we did a two day, <laughs> this will say something about my wife is a four, I'm an eight, this will say something about us. We did a two day intensive with my therapist coach down in Nashville. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. And I remember um, talking about just being an eight, and you know the aggression and the et cetera, et cetera. And then my 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 coach, his name is Jack, coach therapist. He looked at me and said, "Todd, you are one of the most tender and sensitive people I've ever met." Mm. And do you know what I did when he said that? I just wept mm. because again, he like was putting his finger on something so deep and resonant within my soul about who I am as, a, as an aide, as a person, but it's hard to get access to that. It's hard to let that come out. Uh, I've spent so much of my life um, armoring up 
to protect that tenderness, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think I think it's you know for folks to understand um, that eights have that strong, tough exterior. I think in large measure because they have such a tender interior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, you know, uh, I hope this isn't too vulnerable on, on your podcast, but like oftentimes when Katie and I will get like in, in an intense conflict conversation, what we've learned to do now is just um, um, stop and hold each other and hug and she will and and nothing like i i kind of like getting mad and angry there's something very juicing about that in a in an argument with my wife and then she will break through that by just coming over to me and hugging me and it just shatters the aggressive reactivity in a moment and, and I often, and we'll often laugh. I mean, I'll, you know, we'll be like mad at each other. And all of a sudden I'm laughing because I'm like, you're, che-, I'll say to her, you're cheating. <laughs> like you're yeah. cheating. You are coming over to nurture me in tenderness, inviting me to get back in touch with my own tenderness and vulnerability that I've, sh- I've kind of armored up, you know, like pr- I'm, I'm self-protective right now. And you've just walked right through my armor, right to the tender child and are nurturing and loving that person and that mm-hmm. that just is a game changer yeah that's so good yeah you know there's all this research coming out that's talking about anger being a secondary emotion and yes. how um so often when we are angry we need to do the work of looking at what's under the anger mm. and and i think it's <clears> so <throat> tempting it's so tempting to stop at the anger and say no that's the totality of it that's all of it and what your wife is doing is she's helping she's helping you look under the anger Um, instead of, instead of just staying, you know, on the surface. Um, well, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, the virtue for your type is innocence. So how do you think innocence helps your type to approach conflict in a healthier way? I think innocence, um, if you associate innocence or if what that brings to mind is, um, uh, the vulnerable child, Right, and I think y'all talked about this a little bit. Um, unless you become like a little children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. I mean, I think there's there's a little bit of that in your in your teaching earlier. Um, but the innocent, the the journey of integration for the eight is to return to that childlike innocence, where you're vulnerable, where you're tender, where you can be impacted by the world, and you don't need to armor up and deflect and defend and and kind of move through the world with with dominance and aggression. Um, so having that as the, as the, the virtue to be cultivated has been really clarifying for me in my mind of like, where do I need to go? How do I need to grow? And it's been helpful as an invitation to, um, you know, raise that part of my personality that's repressed, namely my feelings, my feelings, other than the, the feeling of anger, but the rest of the feelings are, are hard to access and, and get in touch with. But as I raise the range of feelings of fear and sadness and, and shame and feelings associated with vulnerability, um, that, that helps me see the world and see other people with, through more relational eyes. Um, rather than just as power conflict exchange like an eight is want to do, typically does. And that's a game changer, right? That's that's a game changer. Um, uh, just to, to, to slow down and humanize interaction 
uh, feel my own vulnerability and see other people um, uh, through relational feeling eyes, so to speak, um, and not not as not as um, combatants on a battlefield that need to be sort of vanquished, right? Right. But right. But as 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 um, human beings <laughs> like me mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. need to be loved and cared for, and this is not yes. this is not mortal combat. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you what is Mortal Kombat. Uh, Put on your boxing gloves and put in your mouth guard because when Uh we come back, we will be playing What's Your Number with Todd Wilson. Stay with us. This podcast is made possible because of generous supporters. If you would like to help this ministry continue to make this podcast, you can sign up to become a Patreon supporter. You would have options to unlock bonus interviews, be a part of exclusive live stream events, even be a part of an LTN book club. It's really easy to join. Just go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood. We'd love to have you with us as we explore discipleship and missions in our modern times. Again, go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood and sign up today. It's the IndieCast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. Now it's time for What's Your Number? Okay, our game today is called What's Your Number? Here's how you play. Todd, I'm going to read you a card. Then you're going to rank what is on that card from 1 to 10. 1 means that you absolutely despise it. 10 means that you love it. You're going to keep the number to yourself. Once you have your number, Lindsay and I are each going to try to guess what number we think that you've ranked this thing. We're going to take turns saying our guesses out loud. We cannot pick the same number. After we've each taken a guess, you will then reveal what number you chose, and whoever guessed the closest gets a point. Best out of five wins. Are you both ready to play? Ready. Yes. All right. Round one. Taking naps in the middle of the day. Hmm. Lindsay, I will let you go first. Oh, you're so gracious. Real real quick, y'all. Ten is awesome. Love it, you said? Yes. And, yes. And, yes. Yep. Ten is like, this is the greatest thing ever. One is, yep. that is the lamest thing ever. Well, see, here's the problem. I feel like eights uh-huh. that want to take a nap in the middle of the day, it's a ten. It is like, you cannot stop me. I'm taking Because whatever they're doing, it's a 10. Yes. It's like, it's, I'm all but in. But <laughs> if it's like a child or somebody yeah. who does not want to take a nap, yeah. it is a zero. Yeah. They sure. will not take a nap, and there's nothing you can do to make them take a nap. Yeah. So it's hard to guess it's all where about that he person. is on the wanting of the nap. Yeah. He does have seven children. Yeah. So that would make that makes me want a nap just thinking about it. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me think. I'm going to say, I'm going to say four. You're going to say four. I, it was between eight or four. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Well, sure. it's one or the other. Sure. I'm going to go three. Okay. I'm going on the low end. Low end. Okay. Todd, what's your number? Drum roll, please. I put two. Oh, oh you got two. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Naps for an eight, you're, you're always surprised when you're, you're, you're surprised with your humanity when you're an eight. And so if you have to take a nap in the middle of the day, you're like, gee, something, what's wrong with me? What, what? And, and you're like, that's totally lame. Why do I not have the mm-hmm. energy to just power through all of this? There's yeah. so much you need to, that you want to do. Yeah. yeah. So you don't want to take a nap. Yep. Whereas yep. I relish. <laughs> relish. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm asleep right now. <laughs> <laughs> I could be. It's very warm in here. All right. One point to me. Uh, round two, church conferences. Church conferences. I guess I'll go first this time. Okay. Um, depends on the type of church conference. I'm like, is there conflict? Yeah. Some, com- <laughs> some conferences, I'm going to think, just long, laborious, giant, fat waste of time. Just why are we even doing this thing? But other conferences, I could see, loves them, great to see people, great to connect with people, wonderful worship experience, great teaching, very energizing. So I'm going to say six. And I'm saying six because it depends on the conference. So I'm going to go more positive than negative, but when it's bad, it's bad. So I'm going to say six. Okay, I'm going to say four. Okay. All right. Todd, what's your number? You guys are good. I'm a five on that. <gasps> oh. So we both get a point. Per- precisely for the reason you articulated, Jesse, which is if it's if it's good content, yeah, I, I'm all in. If it's, you know, lame I'm not at all in. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I now have I don't two know points. how you do. You got to split the difference on that one. We'll, we'll split the difference. So I've got, I've got two points and you've got one. Great. Uh, okay. Round three, guided tours. Guided tours. Guided tours. Okay, I'm going to say four again because I'm thinking, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to, I'm walking down this path that says do not enter. Yeah. Because I know that there's a shortcut to the waterfall. Yeah. Or I think I know. Yeah. So here's where I should have taught, asked you your wing because Mm -hmm. I think this one. But it's too late now. Wing plays an influence. So I'm going to answer, and then you can tell us your number, and then I actually do want to know your wing. There you go. So I was actually going to say four. That was going to be my number. Mm -hmm. Let the record show. (laughs) I am going to go three. Okay. Because you took four. So I'm going to say three. Todd, what is your number? I put four, Jesse. (laughs) (gasps) Whoa, that's epic. Although say, like, hearing you say three, I'm like, yeah, I'm probably a three, <laughs> but I did write four down. And he wrote uh, four, so we're gonna yeah. And what? And you? And so I. Here's my guess. My guess is this: uh, if you were a nine wing, I think you would have had a higher number. I'm gonna guess you're a seven wing. Am I right? Yeah, it's a, gr- a great question. You know, so I'm of the of the school of thought that I picked up from Suzanne Stabile that you have one wing the first half of life and the other wing the second half of life. Yes. And since I'm I'm 46, I'm in the second half of life. I am adding the nine wing, but I was a hardcore eight seven wing mm-hmm. up in you know up until relatively recently, uh, and I feel like I'm adding and integrating the the nine into my my whole mm-hmm. shtick. So mm, that's good. That's good. Okay. Lindsay, two to two. You have two points. I have two points. Round four, nature documentaries. Mm. Nature documentaries, and I think it's my turn to go first. So let me think here for a second. So we're going like David Attenborough, Planet Earth. Um, I think, I think that he likes them. How I, much does he like? I think, I think he likes them more than he doesn't. I'm going to say. But I don't know if he's like, he's not going to opening night in the movie theater. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say six. I was going to say six. Yeah. But now you can't. Now I'll say five. Okay, you're going to say five. Okay. What is your number? This is going to surprise you. Ten. 
Whoa. Oh, I right. am a huge David Addenbrook, or however you pronounce his last name, uh, <laughs> fan. Uh, in fact, in fact, it's one of my favorite sort of um, modes of therapy is to is to pull up a nature documentary and just revel in wow. the marvels of nature. Okay, here's my question. When you're watching Planet Earth, yeah. and, he, and he's like, and here we see the African lion, and he's yes. approaching this tribe <laughs> herd of gazelles, and oh, there it goes. It's racing after the baby gazelle, and we're all yes. going, get away, get away. Are you going, lion, lion, get it, go for it, lion. <laughs> yeah, what, what team oh, are you rooting for? Are you team lion oh, or lion. team gazelle? <laughs> the lion. <laughs> the lion. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on team lion and, and love nature documentaries. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's super good. Yeah, that is good. That is good. Okay. One more. Three to two. Yep. My lead. Yep. This one decides it all. Round five. Roller coasters. Roller coasters. I'm going to go nine on that one. You think he's in? Thrill. You think he's in? Thrill okay. and threat all okay, at okay, the same okay. time. <laughs> here's here's my thinking. What? Just say a number. How about? No, I'm going to explain myself. <laughs> I need to explain myself. Um, when I was a child. When he was younger, I think that he loved roller coasters. <laughs> But I'm just saying, as myself, I'm I'm almost 43. He's 46. Mm -hmm. Things change as you get older, and it's a little harder to stomach certain things. I have so many questions that I'm not. So I'm gonna I'm downgrading it to a seven. Oh, you're just going seven after all of that. Jesse, a seven is still pretty high, bro. It is really high. (laughs) But it's also downgrading. But but it's also but it's also strategic. It gives me the whole bottom section of numbers. Yeah, you've you've, you've blocked her out. I price is right. Price is right. Price you. Well, this this one's going to surprise you as well. But Jesse, you were on the right path. I gave it a two. Whoa. I did like them more when I was younger. Maybe let's chalk it up to like some seven wing going zonky, but I have almost zero tolerance for, for like, so bungee jumping, um, go, we went go-karting with, a, with all the kids, um, you know, where you go on the inside track and yep. fly. I didn't like that at all. I felt actually sick. I was just mm-hmm. like, I feel out of control. I do not like this. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, gave, I gave roller coasters uh, a two. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And now it's time for five final questions. Okay. Question number one. Who are two people you currently admire? No biblical characters allowed. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one is my um, the co-founder of the Center for Pastoral Theologians and my former colleague at Calvary Memorial Church, where I pastored for 10 years, who is now the senior pastor of the church, Gerald Heastan, who is one of my dearest friends. He's just he's a nine in the Enneagram. We could finish each other's sentences. We get each other so deeply. We've been through tons of stuff. Um, see, I'm getting emotional talking about it. He's just a beautiful human being and loves me for who I am. Mm, it's beautiful. And then the second person would be my wife, who is just what I said about Gerald, but all the more, I mean, more so because she's, I've known her since we were in kindergarten. We have been dating since we were 16 years old. 
Um, so we've been together for 30 years now. Um, and she's a four in the Enneagram. She's just, she's just high octane, octane magic. She's incredible. Mm. That's good. I, love it. I also want someone to write a song now called High Octane Magic. <laughs> uh, or a band name. It could be a band name. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. Uh, number two, how do you like to waste time? I will almost every night look up Lionel Messi on Google just to keep tabs with everything going on with my favorite soccer player and favorite athlete in the world. Do you know Lionel Messi, the soccer player? No. No. Oh, so this, oh, oh, oh. how much more time do we have on the podcast? What can, what can I, I mean, what do you I want me to tell joy. you about? You know, like, well, the, uh, so anyways, Argentinian soccer player, arguably the best soccer player to ever have played the game. So I, I'm a huge messy fanboy, mm. and we'll waste time reading all of the, you know, just just com- sports commentary about everything about his vacation plans and, you know, uh, you know how he combs his hair and his doppelganger. They found a doppelganger for Messi in Iran. And, you know, I mean, just I, 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 I can tell you everything about Lionel Messi. I'm oh, it's so good. Football it's is so live. Good. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Ted Lasso. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Okay, number three. What is on your nightstand? Yeah, great question. So, well, one thing's on my nightstand is, is um, do you know Ice Cubes, the gum? Yes. Yeah. You know, yes. Yeah. yeah. So this is totally wacko. You guys are going to be kind of grossed out. But my wife used to chew gum before she went to sleep. And I was like, what are you doing over there? And she's like, well, just try it. Don't don't shame it. Try it. And now I'm kind of totally addicted to chewing gum before I go to sleep. Sugar free gum, of course. But what so does it do? It just is entertaining. It's just like a goodie. It's like a dessert. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the ways I waste time, Jesse. It's like therapy. Is it before or after you brush your teeth? It's, I know this is horrible. It's after I brush my teeth. I brush my teeth. I get in bed and I chew gum. It's It's just totally It's a refresher, like a minty. So, well, no, see, I don't do the mint ones. I do the, the fruit ones. So Mm -hmm. the best is um, this cherry. They've got ice cube cherry. So I do Arctic grape, but then the cherry one is the best. So go pick up a, anyway, so that's on my, nightstand um i've got a copy of the atlantic literally right now a copy of the atlantic i haven't broken mm-hmm. into it yet uh, the i'm reading a memoir right now called crossing it is written by my favorite um economist uh named deirdre mccloskey who's a brilliant economist studied with milton friedman uh you taught at the university of chicago and now teaches at the university of illinois in chicago um but what i came to found find out after i really grew to like this economist and um read several of her books, is that she's actually uh, trans. Mm -hmm. She began life as Donald McCloskey. I didn't even know this until she made a reference in one of her acknowledgments of one of her books. And then I looked up, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. I got to learn more about that. So she wrote a memoir about her experience. And that um, that's, it's been a, I'm about halfway through. That's a remarkable read. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it, um, you know, if you want to get a really um, sort of vivid, concrete, heartbreaking in some respects and humanizing in, in many respects, look at a, at a, uh, someone who has transitioned their journey. Uh, that's a good book, Crossing by Deirdre McCloskey. I've got a Dwight Eisenhower biography, uh, a Lincoln biography that I haven't broken into either of those, but those are just in the, in the stack. I did just finish. It's still sitting on my nightstand. Uh, a book entitled "The Hardest Job in the World," written by uh, the author. What's the author's name? He's a he's a reporter. It's about the presidency, 
And, uh, you know, when you're an eight, you read things like Eisenhower and Lincoln biographies in a book about the presidency. <laughs> but here's, here's what's freaking us out. You are the, the third. third guest so far in this series who has, when we get to this portion, they start talking about presidents. Yeah. Oh, you're kidding. No. Yeah. And we're no. like, what? What is wrong with us that we are not reading presidential biographies? We are clearly biographies? not learning enough about the presidents. <laughs> yeah. Man, fascinating. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, okay, question number four. What is an important lesson that you have learned from failing? Yeah, great question. You know, just to go back to this, the wings conversation, and I mentioned that I was an eight with a seven wing. And as you all know, sevens can reframe with lightning speed, and eights can do that pretty well themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I never failed mm -hmm. in the sense that I always reframed things right, to avoid right. failing. And here's the key, to avoid the feeling of disappointment, the feeling of being human, the mm -hmm. feeling of things not work, like of not being God, <laughs> not being God. So what am I important lesson have I learned from failing is feeling the disappointment and that the disappointed meant that feeling is actually medicine that heals you when you're an eight in the Enneagram, probably all the types, but certainly for me, um, that, that it's, it's like, yeah, I failed with that and not, mm. I failed, but there's some big plan or I failed, but it's okay. I'm, I didn't want to do it anywhere, whatever. It's no, that was a failure. I'm grieving. That makes me sad. I'm disappointed. That hurts. And, and it's okay to be in the space for a little while. Yeah, that's really good. So what would you like to hear God say to you when you meet him face to face? Yes, yeah, such a great question. Um, I mean, I think it, it, this is going to be maybe cheating because my mind goes to two places in Scripture. Um, the one is, of course, well done, good and faithful servant um, from Matthew 25 and the sheep and the goats. But the other is maybe even sweeter and it's from the baptism of jesus where the father says this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased mm. i would love for the lord to say that to me when i see mm -hmm. him mm. beautiful beautiful well todd this has been wonderful man thank you so much for joining us today and for just opening up your your heart to us and to uh, our listeners mm -hmm. uh, it has meant a great deal to all of us Great to be with you both. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Todd Wilson. If you want to hear more from Todd or to check out his latest book, The Enneagram Goes to Church, you can visit his website at toddawilson.com. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year and you'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Rachel Zabo is our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. 
find people to journey with you because you were created for community.